0: Yo cuz. I I know why you got the car last night. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. You don't want that shit to come back to haunt you. <laughs> Ain't been up this early in a long time. Turned on the TV this morning. I had this shit on about, about living in a violent, a violent world. Showed all these foreign places. Foreigners living on. I started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show. I don't care about what's going on in the hood. Man, all this foreign shit. They ain't have shit on my brother, man. I ain't got no brother. kind of mother need. She loved that food more than she loved me.
1: God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius?
2: Do you think I'm especially not a genius?
1: Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
3: That one, you cheap dime store hood. Andy! You goody!
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 211, Boys in the Hood. That's right. 1991. Written and directed by John Singleton, the late, great John Singleton.
2: Yeah, I was looking that up. It was completely off my radar that he is no longer with us. I didn't know that. <laughs> Always on top of it. Because I was trying to it. see what happened to his career. Because I remembered, certainly, Baby Boy. I didn't know that he
1: had done, like, Too Fast, Too Furious, like some of the things that he did yeah. later in his career. I think he became more of, like, a hired gun for the studio's... In the later portion of his career. I had kind of a a Zach moment watching this movie earlier because
2: I can remember the first time I ever saw this movie, which was actually the last time I had seen it, and it was like the year 2000, and and it's just so crazy that I'm at a point in my life where I can say, yeah, the last time I watched this movie was 21 years ago. (laughs) That's just like, how close to death are we?
1: (laughs) Well, we're knocking on the door. That's true. Yeah, unfortunately... The last feature film that Singleton made was Abduction in 2011, which was filmed in Pittsburgh, and it sucks.
2: Oh, Taylor Lautner.
1: Yeah, The Werewolf from Twilight. I actually saw that in the theater during my 100 100 movies. That was number 100. That was the last one. There were some rough (laughs) outings that year, it seems like.
2: And that movie sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I I never saw it, but I do remember the trailer for it. A A lot of shots of PNC Park.
1: Yeah, I think as time went on... Singleton was not making as personal of films as he made earlier in his career. Sure, that'll happen. But yeah, that's a, a similar path to a lot of directors. So before we jump into Boys in the Hood, let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, Accoratus Pod, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean. I think that's it. Yeah. I think we Letterboxd. are on another <laughs> outlets but we just don't we're not aware of it we just are on them <laughs> we don't do anything to be on them no no, we're no on them
2: <laughs> but check us out there too
1: yeah just google it actually if you're listening to this show just continue listening <laughs> the way that you found it the first time we still have stickers so let us know on twitter if you'd like to, a free sticker that's right i've only had
2: one bounce back so far
1: you had a bounce back. yeah
2: it's no it's not no one that reached out on
1: twitter oh it's a
2: it's a friend a texter
1: oh boy so yeah we still have some stickers let us know on twitter if you'd like one for free matt writes a nice little handwritten note that's right the contents of which i am unaware (laughs) thankfully (laughs) i'd love to know what's in these notes i don't
2: know it's just it's always better if you don't know it's kind of like how the idea of people being on letterboxd is better than actually people being on it because once you start seeing what they're actually
1: doing (laughs) you're just sickened by it which brings us to letterboxd (laughs) we're both on there now i'm at zach 1983 and i watch roughly four to six movies (laughs) a day yeah it's hard to even keep up with my content on there going for a thousand this year maybe we'll We'll see. see yeah i'm digging the engagement on there though people are buying in Yeah, you're at Matt Crosby. I like to see what other people are watching. I hope that when people listen to this show and then join Letterboxd and follow us and we follow them back, I hope that they use the app, they're reviewing everything they're seeing or giving star ratings at least, just so we can get a sense of our listeners and how terrible their taste is. And if we like you or not. No, in all seriousness, it's just interesting to me what people are watching, what they think about it. Because of course you can follow various film Twitter people or critics or people that have, you know, much bigger film podcasts than ours.
2: But we don't care about them. But
1: yeah, it, it sort of gets boring. I, I'm more a man of the people. I I'd want to say know so. What other people yeah. are into.
2: I've always considered you a man of no one, really, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> a solitary man. That's true. Yeah, I always feel like when we are doing this housekeeping that. I'm forgetting something, but we did Twitter, we yeah. did subscribe, we did Letterbox, we did stickers. Anything else?
2: I don't know. There, there well there is nothing else, but maybe one day we'll bring back the email. How about that?
1: No. <laughs> listener requests, if you have one, let us know also on Twitter. We have a couple now lined up for March. So if you want a listener request, you better get it in there quick. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of the year is locked in place. I mean
2: we never really like officially opened this back up, right? We just kind of took a couple from people.
1: Well, if you mean by open it back up, accept everyone, yeah, no, we have not officially done that. We said people can feel free to request something and we'll consider we'll it. We'll consider it. We'll mull it over as I've said a million times before it's better to come prepared with several choices that way we can sort of decide what might work best for us and again so it's usually going
2: to be like an immediate two or three that get removed right away probably <laughs> it's just hard it's, nose
1: it's it's not always a matter of us not liking the things although yeah, yeah. that sometimes is the case <laughs> sometimes it's just certain things we know what we can handle and what we can't yeah and some stuff I just don't think we would be able to to do right or bring the right level of knowledge or enthusiasm or whatever.
2: That's funny because people are probably like, well, it doesn't sound like you like the movies that you do do. My <laughs> sister called me the other day and, and was like, I just listened to the Scream episode and it was so cool to listen to you guys talk about something that you actually like. And I was <laughs> like, is that different from the other episodes? And she's like, well, I guess you like other movies, but... <laughs> It just seems like you're always down on things.
1: Well, you're definitely down on almost everything we do, but <laughs> <laughs> I think people misinterpret us like Goof- goofing, goofing on things. some yeah. things from the movie as not liking it. Right, right. I think what people should understand, maybe if they're new to the show, or even if they've listened to every episode and they still don't know, is everything we do on this show, aside from some of the early listener requests, are stuff that we actually like. Absolutely. I think our dislike of some of the listener requests from the first go-round potentially cost us some listeners.
2: I I would say so, yeah. (laughs) But it was funny to me that the one scenario where she thought that we just liked something so much and we're just gushing about it was Scream.
1: (laughs) I do love Scream. So do I. And I'm very excited about the new Scream coming out. Same. Even though it'll probably be dumb. (laughs) Well. What isn't, though? That's right. Anyway... I think it's time to get into Boys in the Hood, a movie that I don't think I really ever saw until relatively recently, unlike you who saw it 20 years ago. (laughs) I think I saw parts of it here and there over the years, but front to back, probably a recent movie for me. I think one of the cool things that jumps out to me is Singleton's love and appreciation for... Rob Reiner's film Stand By Me, which oh, there's absolutely. several homages yeah, yeah. in the film. And it's interesting to like think of the two films and compare them in a lot of ways, even though this film delves into a lot of different things that have nothing to do with Stand By Me sure. and don't exist in Stand By Me, but that's sort of the comparison, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's how different the worlds are of these people. The kids living in South Central LA versus... The kids living in a rural town in the 50s and the things that might be weighing on their mind and and the environment that they're growing up in and the struggles and and different things like that. I would say the part when their kids feels
2: like very similar to Stand By Me.
1: Yeah. If I'm going to be critical of this movie, it would be of the acting of a few of the kids is not great. Okay. Yeah. So that would be an advantage that the original stand by me would have where the acting is actually really good for kids. I do think a couple of the kids in this aren't particularly strong actors. Sure, but once they get to the
2: more adult age or whatever they I guess they're in high school, but they seem so much older than that.
1: You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? But th- I, I take it as like right on the verge yeah, of graduating true. high school. But
2: some very strong performances in, in that section of the movie.
1: Boys in the Hood stars Ice Cube Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, Lawrence Fishburne, Nia Long, and Angela Bassett, amongst others. It had a $6.5 million budget, and made $57.5 million at the box office, which made it the most profitable movie of the year in terms of investment.
2: Now I was reading about this a little bit. It, it seems like he had this movie, or he had written this movie for college or something, and then it was purchased, but he was like, I, I have to direct this.
1: Yeah, it was a film school project, which he continued to work on. And when it was sold to, I believe, Columbia? That sounds right to me. He insisted on directing it.
2: Now, Uh, this came out, was this a year after Do the Right Thing? Two. Two years.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Do the Right Thing was a huge reason why this movie was made. A lot of other studios wanted to have their version of it, which is, of course, like the typical... Move, <laughs> yeah, Hollywood yeah. bullshit. Right. They couldn't just read a script and decide on its own merit. Like, oh, this would be like a great thing to make. It's no, like, they
2: need their eyes open by something else. Then, yeah, oh, every, everybody's looking
1: for the next. Here's thing. an opportunity. Singleton ended up getting nominated for two Oscars for this film for Best Director, which made him the youngest ever nominee at that point. He was only 24 years old. Oh,
2: that's pretty cool. And
1: he was also the first African American ever nominated for Best Director.
2: And this got. Guy- Best Original Screenplay nomination, too, didn't it? Yeah,
1: and he also was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. The title comes from the song written by Ice Cube, which was famously performed by NWA bandmate Easy E on, I think, Easy E's solo, first solo album, maybe?
2: I think there's been times in my life where I've called this Boys in the Hood, not boys, letter N, the hood.
1: Well, I think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's still just pronounced boys in the hood. Okay. <laughs> I think it's just stylized a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if you need to really emphasize just like the N or not. Well, is
2: it in or and? You know how that sometimes they just use the letter N for like and?
1: <laughs> it's like Sex and the City, boys and I don't know. The I never hood. really thought of it. <laughs> to be I always thought it was just in. Yeah, same. Okay. All right. <laughs> because the song lyrics are... Because the boys in the hood that's are right. always hard. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're making me think, but I don't know. I don't.
2: I-, I think the first
1: one is right, but it it was it was sending me down a a path. Yeah, well, this is sort of the struggle when you're two white dorks <laughs> who don't really know anything about this, <laughs> and you're trying to learn from film and music and stuff. Which, okay, so that's the big thing with this movie is. For those of you who are a little younger maybe and weren't alive or or were still pretty young in the early nineties, late eighties, I think it continued probably till, you know, the mid-90s up until the shooting deaths of Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. But That's right. America in general was sort of like all of a sudden woken up to the inner city struggles, but specifically gang violence and Uh, a lot of it centered in Los Angeles. All of a sudden, the news and talk shows, and some of them were very exploitative talk shows, would have stories or guests or whatever that focused on the Bloods and the Crips and different gang stuff, which seemed to just be everywhere all of a sudden and a big topic of discussion when in reality it had been going on for years, which is sort of how this movie works in a way where this stuff was going on in the eighties. Yeah, that's right. But it took, but most of our focus,
2: most of our focus at that time was on the less than zero type characters.
1: Well, I think it took like the rise of gangster rap and some movies like this to alert a lot of the other parts of the country about it. I just remember even as a kid, I mean, I would have been like seven when this movie came out and yet, Probably in the early 90s, it was stuff that, like, I was hearing about all of a sudden. It was very foreign to white suburban kids who lived in different parts of the country. And it was as foreign as life in Russia or Australia <laughs> or a completely different country. It was like, you have no idea that this is, like, something Yeah, that's going on.
2: I, right. When this stuff started getting, like, so much exposure, it did make me afraid of drive-by shootings. Not that I lived anywhere where you know that was happening, but it's, that is such a wild thing. Like just a car rolling up, and these people pulling out like automatic weapons and unloading them. It's just like such a nuts thing.
1: Yeah, and I think films like Boys in the Hood and also some of the music of this time, N.W.A., Ice Cube, part of that as well. It takes that art to really shine the spotlight on things and to actually bring about. The push for change because unfortunately politicians and things like that it's really much much more focused on what's going to get them elected or where the money is or whatever and focusing on this stuff isn't really gonna move the meter until there's like an actual outcry for it and a push for it and i think that's sort of reflected in the closing monologue by Ice Cube's character where he talks about what's on the news and how his brother's death isn't even reported on the news. They're talking about stuff in other countries. That, I think, is probably the legacy of Boys in the Hood, which is just sort of capturing a part of America without really exploiting it. It it has much more heart and is less detached, I think, than other portrayals of gang violence and... Gang culture and stuff like that. So I think you're able to maybe excuse some of the melodrama. Sometimes, especially in the first portion that takes place in 84, the acting is a little iffy and the music is sometimes a little cheesy. You're almost like, okay, is this like Full House or something? It just has that like very (laughs) almost after-school special feel at times. Right. Especially during the beginning part of it. But you are able to look past it because of... Just the overall power of art. And you're like, okay, this is happening. And this movie was a huge hit, which is always like a surprise, I think, to Hollywood. It's like, oh, Black Panther becomes like this monster hit. It's like, well, this audience exists. There are people who want to see their stories reflected on the big screen or on TV or, or things like that. And sometimes, whether it's racism intentionally or not intentionally or whatever, you sort of like overlook it and ignore it. And then something like this comes along and it's like, oh, well, this was a huge hit and it got nominated for Oscars and stuff. It's like, oh. That's right. What, what, what took us so long? I should probably
2: point out that I, I think the reason why I haven't seen it in so long is this movie definitely shook me when I was fairly younger and, and saw it. I mean, I was in middle school. I've had that experience with a few movies in my life that I don't really go back and watch again if it did. Requiem for a Dream is one of those for me. I I really haven't watched that since the first time I ever watched it. Just watched it recently. Just some hard, (laughs) hard scenes to watch. Rewatching this now, it it certainly didn't have the same effect on me as a a much older person. But when we get to the Ricky stuff and the aftermath of what happens with him and, and being in that living room...
1: And everyone reacting. Yeah, which is completely insane.
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) That was like, I mean, it it stuck with me for like days after because it was just like so haunting.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important also to note that this movie has a lot more going on than just gang violence and violence in general. It it has a lot on its mind when it comes to race and racism and the Lawrence Fishburne character. He's kind of like the the mouthpiece for it. Yeah,
2: there's a lot of just... Just the scene where he has this whole monologue about gentrification. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of like political commentary weaved through it about African Americans serving in the army or gentrification right, or different things like that. It pulls no punches in the sense that, yes, there are a lot of these issues that are impacting the black communities and... There are outside forces at work, as he points out, like, how does the crack get into the community? We don't have the boats or the planes.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was such a, a dark take on the gentrification stuff, which I know has its negative views anyway. But just it, it's kind of like the idea that, like, this is all some plan.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that, that has long been thought uh, when it comes to the, the crack cocaine epidemic and, and how that was introduced into certain areas and stuff.
2: Yeah, that is such a just a, a haunting thought.
1: That's a big part of it. Poverty, drug abuse is touched on. There's a lot going on with all of the different characters at work. Yeah, so there's the outside forces, but there's also basically Furious's commentary on his own community and his right. pressure on his son Trey to not fall into the endless yeah, rise cycle above. of violence and to... Overcome the temptation to fall into that stuff. Furious Styles is a great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love that he just uses it for his business name, too. That's right. <laughs> Doughboy,
2: which is a name I was finding myself relating to,
1: was specifically written for Ice Cube, whom Singleton met when he was working as a PA on the Arsenio Hall show. And then he worked as a production assistant and security guard. At Pee Wee's Playhouse, where he met Lawrence Fishburne. Oh wow! I believe Paul Rubens was telling a story on like the Nerdist podcast or something about Singleton giving a copy of his script to Fishburne and Paul Rubens. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I was like Pee Wee Herman's giving notes on Boys Love. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he came up th- through the ranks. He had jobs on shows and stuff, and had this script that he had been working on and and got it made eventually and made all these different connections. I think the cast ends up being pretty strong. You have Angela Bassett in in what is like pretty much in like a supporting role. And I I enjoy her scenes with Lawrence Fishburne, even though there's only like two of them. I I mean, I guess they talk on the phone at one point. They would reunite a couple years later, in the Tina Turner biopic, "What's Love Got to Do with It," which was sort of like Fishburne's big coming out as like a a star. Oh wow! And what sort of led to him not this movie, turning down Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, which is a whole other it's wild <laughs> path to go down. Yeah, I think things eventually worked out, but yeah, he was trying to become this like leading man, and so he didn't want to take like a supporting role of jewels turns out to be this huge deal yeah but it all worked out sure sure. i think because he got the matrix morpheus is a huge thing yep but anyway yeah let's let's jump into it i have a lot of thoughts on Nia long who plays brandy she's cute (laughs) yeah (laughs) she still is i think people would probably know her best from big mama's house (laughs) 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 if for those of you have seen it I know Matt's a big fan. That's right, He's yeah. got the Blu-ray there. Right I saw it twice there. in the theater. <laughs> no, I think this movie actually broke a lot of people. I think it was Ice Cube's first role as an actor and he would go on to have a pretty It's funny, like, decent I, career.
2: I uh I have not seen Big Mama's House, but during that time in my life I was like a huge Martin Lawrence fan.
1: Then why wouldn't you have seen it?
2: I don't know. I guess I must have been <laughs> on my way out cuz I was like, you know, I loved Blue Streak in middle school. <laughs> I would watch reruns of The Martin Show.
1: I don't think I ever saw Blue Streak.
2: I I don't think it's something that I'll I'll be... If I revisit it and it's a rewatch on Letterboxd, don't be surprised if it's less than two stars. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) No, but of course, I loved him in Bad Boys. So, I don't know. For some
1: reason, it was a big Martin Lawrence era for me. So, the beginning of the film takes place in 1984, I think, the very, very, very original name on the script was going to be Summer of 84. Thankfully, it evolved beyond that, and we have a whole <laughs> Sounds section. like a
2: John Cougar Mellencamp song.
1: Well, I think there actually is a movie called like Summer of 84 now, okay, or something. It's like a horror movie, maybe. But yeah, thankfully it evolved beyond that, because as I said, I mean, maybe they would have cast some of these kids differently. I don't want to like harp on it too much. It's not like a big deal. I think the opening segment of the movie is like a half hour long, the 80s segment when they're 10 years old. But yeah, especially the kid that plays Doughboy, he sort of delivers his lines almost like an afterthought. Like there's not like a whole (laughs) lot of acting going on, but they're kids. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Inglewood, 1984, 10-year-old Trey Styles lives with his mother, Reva, played by Angela Bassett.
2: Looking good in this movie too.
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) I think it's important to really pick up on a couple of things here. One of which is the opening portion of the movie right away. And the kids are walking to school and they're talking about a shooting that they overheard the night before. And it's just children completely desensitized to... Crazy violence. Oh, yeah. There's nightly shootings in their neighborhood. Helicopters flying around all the time. And it is very reminiscent of The Wire or things like that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It did have me thinking of season four of The Wire.
1: Yeah, and it's not a surprise that these things are cycles. I think that's something that Trey's father will sort of try to pass along that wisdom to him later. But when you are born and raised in this war zone and you're sort of facing a faceless enemy that just is a constant oppression and there's helicopters buzzing over your house all of the time because there's constant manhunts going on from criminal activity. It's not a surprise that a lot of the kids just fall into that life because they don't value other people's lives at all because that's just the way that the world is to them and then they only value their own life a little bit more than that barely (laughs) at all so it doesn't seem strange or shocking or out of the ordinary to them that people die when they're teenagers yeah i mean they're they're basically
2: walking by crime scenes on their way to school
1: yes bullet holes blood etc when Trey gets into another fight at school, Reva decides that he should live with his father in Crenshaw.
2: I do like Trey's lesson when he goes up in front of the class and just talks about how everybody's from Africa.
1: Yeah. I was, I was really buying into <laughs> that. And then he that. hits that kid with that stick. Yeah. <laughs> I know that they sort of portray the, the teacher as sort of bigoted a little bit in her like presumptive way of speaking to Reva over the phone, but you do sort of have to... Your heart goes out a little you bit. You feel like she had her hands full here. Yeah.
2: Also something that you see in The Wire.
1: Yeah, that woman who's their teacher actually did kind of remind me of like one of the women from The Wire. Yeah, yeah. Reva's genuinely concerned with Trey's future. And the idea here is that Trey's father, Furious, which is a nickname, his name's like Jason, I think. He'll be a positive influence and be able to teach him valuable life lessons, make him into a man, etc., Furious is played by Lawrence Fishburne.
2: (laughs) It just made me think of the freaking Rocky Horror Picture Show song. (laughs) In just seven days, (laughs) I can make you a man. (laughs) Okay.
1: The move reunites Trey with some neighborhood friends. We have Darren Doughboy Baker. That's right. Doughboy's maternal half-brother, Ricky, and another friend named Chris.
2: What's the story behind the Doughboy nickname? He's fat. That's what I thought. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, which Ice Cube is really not fat in this movie or anything, but the younger version That's of That's right, is, yep. But he retains the name. And so this move also will bring about structure, and Trey will learn the importance of hard work and responsibility. And there's an insane culture clash right away because these friends in the neighborhood are sort of running wild
2: I know it's weird. That's one of the things that's kind of hard to dial in on early in the movie. It's like, is going to live with his dad better?
1: I think they're supposed to be the same. It's more just a matter of.
2: His dad's going to, you know, teach him the lessons he needs to know.
1: Yeah. And I think Reva has a job and is going back to school. That's right. Which they don't really harp on that a lot, but she just mentioned it a couple of times.
2: Yeah. And you do get the sense later that she's found her success.
1: Yes. The idea is that Trey will move back with his mother eventually, although that doesn't happen, and then she gets pissed about it. Yeah, it's more she just doesn't have the time because of the job and the school. To and like, she can't you know,
2: have like, him like acting a fool and getting into fights in school.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did
2: like that she had him that he had signed a contract <laughs> that if he gets into
1: another fight, he's going to go live with his dad. A lot of this has its basis in Singleton's real life okay yeah i think he did live with his mother and then went to go live with his father this is i think straight I, out of his life i'm sure the definitely contract is real
2: feels personal
1: yeah and it would have just been like i don't know like a decade before or something like that i think singleton would would have been like 21 or i mean 24 yeah in 1991 so instead of like 84 it's probably like really like 74 but it's sort of the same idea
2: i was reading this too and i'm sure you probably have some notes on it that this movie is kind of famous for it was shot in sequence. Yes. And he kind of has talked about how
1: he thinks the camera work gets better
2: as the movie goes on because he was like learning lessons.
1: Yeah. I watched this a couple of times recently, and I didn't really notice anything the first time, but then I saw that information, and so I was trying to pay attention closer sure. the second time. There are a couple of moments that jump out as a little awkward with the camera. The scene where Trey is riding in the car with his mother to Crenshaw, it starts with a man on the street corner, and then it sort of like pans all in one motion over to Trey in the car. It's sort of herky-jerky okay, in a way yeah. that feels maybe unintentional. Probably. <laughs> but, yeah, you don't notice as much as the film goes along, and everything feels a lot smoother by the end. And I think the story feels stronger. It, it's not just the direction work. I think everything sort of improves. I would agree. At a certain point where the acting is better, the dialogue feels better.
2: Yeah, the first act in, in general, is it feels a little clunky.
1: Yeah, it's really just a lot of preparation. It's,
2: it's actually kind of shockingly longer than you would expect it to be, too. For me, it, it felt like it was going on without as much development happening.
1: Yeah, it's, it's trying to set the table and lay a lot of information on you to just to give you like a sense of things. Sure. But when you watch this several times in a short amount of time, as I have to like get ready for this, you start to think, okay, so I get that this is the moment in time where he moves to live in with his dad. But it also feels weird that all of this stuff happens in about two days because it it does seem That's to true. just happen yeah. like almost continuously because the first time I watched it, I didn't really pay attention, and I'm just like, I'm assuming weeks are going by, but no, it's like, oh, we're going to see this dead body. Oh, like I have the to day back after because he- I have to go fishing. Oh, all when right. I get back from fishing, Doughboy and Chris are being arrested. It's like all in one day. Basically yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> it seems like I think Singleton had it in his head to do the homage to Stand By Me to sort of like compare and contrast there and he's stuck with that even though it doesn't feel 100% necessary by the time they get to be adults because you're like you probably could have given us a lot of that information spread out through like a two-hour version of just them as adults that's right and maybe they reference a few things or a few things are just talked about when they're older rather than when they're younger or whatever you sort of can work it where you don't even need to have them as kids other than maybe the emotional impact later that's where true. You're like, oh, we, we feel like we know we've known them longer. Yeah,
2: or at least it just feels like it could have been shorter.
1: The first night that Trey is staying with his father, a man breaks into the house, and Furious has a gun and shoots at the burglar twice. Yeah, he was really going for the kill shot too. <laughs> he doesn't, wasn't going for the leg. Doesn't hit him. The guy escapes, but it's two gigantic <laughs> bullet holes in the door. <laughs> yeah, he's a 357 Magnum. It, it's a tense moment though because just conveniently at that exact second Trey was like up getting a drink or yeah. going to the bathroom or something and all of a sudden he's like oblivious that there's a guy in the house and then Furious is like shooting firing a magnum <laughs> Trey and Furious wait nearly an hour for the police to arrive and then when they do the white officer is civil detached sort of yeah. while the black officer is hostile and racist
3: and where are these fools? We've been waiting out here for almost an hour, you know that?
0: Alright,
3: we got a call of a burglary here. Yeah, that was about an hour ago. Whoa. We didn't ask you that. Yeah, well, I told you. Besides, I don't like having my son out here in the cold. Just tell me what happened, sir. Well, somebody broke into the house. I fired at him with my piece, and he ran away. (laughs) So you didn't get him? Well, if I got him, he'd be laid out here in front of you, right? Is there anything missing? No. Good. No need to make out a report. Twelve out of sixty-five. We've got a four-fifteen on between Vermont and You know it's too bad you didn't get it. Be one less nigga out here in the streets we have to worry about. Hey, little man, how you doing? Going in the house, Trey. Going. something wrong something wrong yeah it's just too bad you don't know what it is
2: brother and this is the same two cops that we see again later right or is that not clear
1: the african-american guy is definitely the same okay yeah i don't know about the other guy i I thought it looked like him but i yeah it probably is but I, i wasn't sure
2: yeah imagine these two just working the same beat for seven years. And so this is like another
1: (laughs) major sociological topic that's just kind of thrown in there where you're like, okay, so now we're getting into the whole self-hatred aspect, which is, you know, common in all kinds of different groups of people, ethnicities, sexualities, uh, races. Myself religions etc it's something that exists all across but i think that this was something that clearly meant a lot to singleton sure and it's probably something that he dealt with personally where you have the it's not even that the white officer is nice he's just like a nothing it's like he doesn't really even factor into the he's certainly not
2: being as much of an asshole as this dude
1: yeah you have this other guy going out of his way and so this seems like i know that it's like it's weird timing to talk about this kind of thing a year removed from George Floyd and everything that ha- it, that's been happening in the news over the last forever but <laughs> i think that in a way by having this in this movie i think that Singleton's sort of pointing this out as something that's even more of a betrayal and like it hurts more in a way because it, the racism would be like almost expected from like a white cop
2: yeah this is someone that you expect to have some feeling of unity with right yeah, and it does have that extra level of like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah, it seems like this guy has a lot of disdain for other African American men in particular. And who knows why or or what that's based in, but he's taking it out on people and that will come into play later. So what do you think <laughs> what do you think about Doughboy and Ricky's mother? <laughs> I like her. Yeah. She's so- always
2: curious what Lawrence Fishburne's up to. Yeah, I was about to say, she's always curious what Furious is up to, and I was like, oh boy.
1: <laughs> curious, serious. I think it's funny that Furious or L- Lawrence Fishburne is only seven years older than Cuba Gooding Jr. And this woman, I, I don't have her name in front yeah. of me. She's only like seven years older than Ice Cube or something like that. So it makes sense when they're like little, but then <laughs> they look exactly the same seven right. years later. Yeah, But yeah, I-, I like that too, because I feel like that's another thing that almost that crosses across well, all races, all levels of income, all everybody, all through society, where there might be a woman that has children by different fathers, and her relationship or her feelings about those fathers impacts how she feels about those kids. Yeah, and so she she loves Ricky, <laughs> and Ricky's like the golden boy, but she kind of hates boy Dough not boy. so much. Yeah.
2: The other thing that she had me thinking about what the furious thing was i i was almost wondering it with furious being like a it seems like a single dude i mean yeah there was kind of like a cuddy from the wire thing
1: oh yeah like when he comes back and runs the gym like every mom <laughs> is like interested right well he tells trey yeah that she might have had a chance but she talks too much or <laughs> something like that <laughs> she doesn't really seem like the nicest person no But, I mean, she is I like her, though. She's got spunk. (laughs) (laughs) Some people sort of take that opening sequence with the bullet holes as a Stand By Me homage, which is fine. But the first one, to me, of course, is when they actually go to look at a dead body. They're walking down
2: railroad tracks. Yeah, there's
1: a definite shot from behind of them on the, the tracks that looks exactly like Stand By Me. Except, of course, they're in the middle of this crazy urban area rather than out in the woods or out in the mountains or whatever. And it just looks completely different. But Chris says, anybody want to see a dead body?
2: A character being named Chris, by the way.
1: And I think the thing that jumps out to me is when you compare the quest to go find the body in stand by me and how that's the entire movie and it takes forever. That's right. And they have to walk so far insane. Actually, and they have to like, sleep overnight. and It's like this rare quest, this thing that's like w- yep. once in a lifetime versus it takes them like five minutes or less and, to walk and, through this body. And like,
2: the impact that it has on them is like yeah. nothing compared to Stand By Me. It's just like this like life-changing moment.
1: Yeah, the casualness of just coming across this body, remarking about the smell, and then almost immediately... They're distracted because those older boys come along.
2: Also similar to Stand By Me.
1: Yeah, but it's like the attention is just completely off of that. It has no effect at a certain point because it just is right there amongst their right. houses almost. It's yep. just around the corner. There's a an older teen that's been shot or whatever, and nobody has reported the body or it hasn't been taken away or anything, which is so grim when you think about really? it. Really? It's just sitting out there. Oof. Which... In a way, maybe informs what happens at the end of the movie and why they're like, well, we have to take this body with us because it's just we can't leave it here." fear yeah. of just nothing will happen if we just leave it here. I don't know. While Trey is fishing with his father, learning about sex and responsibility, plus his father's time in Vietnam, Doughboy and Chris are arrested for shoplifting and being taken away in a car when they get back. And this is concluding the 1984 segment. Yeah. So we have we'll, two we'll, getting arrested. We'll quickly find
2: out that Doughboy and Chris don't take this as like a learning moment and change their ways after this.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, this is the also the first time that Furious sort of speaks on a bigger issue that That's just right. sort of worked yeah. into the story through conversations he has with his son, and he talks about how Trey should never join the army. There is no place for a black man in the white man's army or whatever.
2: Yeah, I do feel like it kind of forms some of the wise in Furious's desire to raise his son. He doesn't want him to be forced into making a decision like that, like going yeah. to the army just because you don't have another choice.
1: Yeah, he's basically like trying to tell him about it takes a certain responsibility and it takes a, a man to be able to raise a son like any Anybody with a dick can have a baby, but it takes a certain level of responsibility to actually raise the baby because Furious had Trey when he was 17. And he, you know, he talks about some of his friends who were in a version of that Trey. life. Yeah. I don't know if it's exactly the same. I think what happens with Doughboy and the interactions that they have with the other people are very specifically like Crips and Bloods. But regardless of whatever was going on, When Furious was younger, it's a version of that stick-up jobs, drugs, etc. So yeah, I think he's trying to provide a stable background for Trey in the same way that John Singleton's father did for him. And this is sort of a a reflection of that. And I think you know one of the reasons why it was so important for him to direct the film was he was sort of afraid of the studio bringing... (laughs) As he put... He's like, I don't want somebody from Idaho... Or Encino coming in. I like how his examples were Idaho and Encino (laughs) coming in and recasting things their way and doing things their way and not and trying to make like an urban movie. Yeah, we pick up seven years later, 1991, at a barbecue. Doughboy, Ice Cube, fresh out the pen, is celebrating his recent release from jail. He's now a member of the Crips and has some new friends, including Dookie and Monster, who are also Crips who will just sort of be around and never really factor that much into it That's, other than well, just being there. You need a crew. Chris is now paralyzed and in a wheelchair, and the implication is that he was this shot is as right? a result of a gunshot wound. Ricky, played by Morris Chestnut, is a star high school running back. He lives with his mother, his girlfriend, and their infant son, and there's a lot of hope tied in with his athletic ambitions. Yeah. Still wearing a penny. That's what we used to call those.
2: It's nuts that he has a kid because I'm just like, man. (laughs)
1: Just being
2: in high school and having a kid, I could have gone all the way through school twice now. And it's just like, (laughs) I'm still nowhere near, going on the third time. still nowhere near like the Uh, level one should
1: be at to have a kid. Well, yeah, that just speaks to a lot of the same things, whether it's the gang stuff or the drug stuff or whatever. It's like sort of this endless cycle. There is not... A father figure in that home. There didn't seem to be a lot of structure, yeah, or discipline or anything going on. And then no one's there, like furious to be like, "You better wrap that thing up." <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs> I will say Morris Chestnut though is like so great in this role. He just has this like all American look to him, like looks like a star yeah. that like you know is, is going to go on to do great things.
1: Yeah, and it reminded me a little bit of like Hoop Dreams or something. There's just all of this hope, and it, it it's almost like the pressure of turning coal into a diamond, except it's like the pressure of turning hope into just dread and like a noose and like oh, yeah. an albatross around you. You're just like, it's his mother, it's his girlfriend, he has a son, and all of this pressure is like you've got to get this scholarship to USC, which means you've got to score at least a 700 on the SAT, which means... Even if you get to USC, it's like you've got to go pro. You've got to be great. You've got to do this. So much is riding on this. Yeah. It's like this endless pressure. He carries it well, though, I would say. Sort of. Although at one point towards the end of his life, he's almost like, fuck it, I want to join the army. That's true. And Trey's like, what are you talking about? You sound like the commercials. Trey, who's now played by Cuba Gooding Jr., is mature and responsible. He has a job. He has plans for college. And he's a smoking hot girlfriend named Brandy, played by Nia Long. Uh,
2: Although, I mean, really his struggle here is with her not putting out.
1: Yeah, their relationship is strained due to Trey wanting to have sex. And Brandy, who is a devout Catholic, wanting to wait until after marriage. (laughs) I do like that Trey was like, well, I thought... Catholic girls were supposed to be the biggest hoochies or whatever he says. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that is the rumor. <laughs> you do hear that. Yeah, nowadays they're just like, let's have anal sex because it doesn't count. <laughs> it's losing my virginity. <laughs> and you're like, eh, well, I,
2: you know what? Makes sense to me.
1: You also have a either her first appearance or a very early appearance from Regina King, who sort of just plays a girl that hangs around with... Doughboy, i'm not really that's sure right. if she's supposed to be she's at the barbecue uh, yeah, i don't know well she's in the car later that's with true him. yeah she's just sort of hanging around she's on their front porch later too she finishes off that 40 at one point that's right I yeah don't i don't know. know who she is she's just around she's kind of funny i, I enjoy her <laughs> presence yeah because she's like going crazy over trey and then brandy like flips out and then <laughs> That whole reaction was funny too. Yeah, yeah. Isn't they just like laugh at her for getting mad? Right. <laughs> right after this barbecue, when Trey is like taking the plate over to Furious, we have the first run-in with that group of Bloods that will—that's right—sort of become a recurring thing throughout the movie and lead to the. Well, wasn't the one conclusion. guy like banging
2: a girl in the neighborhood or something? And I don't know. Okay, I—I I thought...
1: I never really was there that
2: much. I thought that Doughboy makes a comment about oh, that. Oh,
1: maybe, maybe, yeah. Well, you definitely don't see any. No, no, but, yeah. I mean, th- they're driving by a lot. <laughs> it's, it's weird that if one of them is banging a girl in the neighborhood, that it's always, like, three of them together. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you
2: gotta have support.
1: Now, Matt, did your dad ever sniff you and ask, did you get any pussy yet?
2: <laughs> I, I can't say that's never happened. Maybe that's because he knew I wasn't. <laughs> it was just so obvious. <laughs>
1: I do think that, that is such a weird part in this movie where Furious is just sniffing Trey. Yeah. And being like, did you get any pussy yet? But even I can't when he starts telling this
2: when he starts telling the fake story of the sex happening, yeah. that he even says that like, oh, her aunt must have been able
1: to smell that sex was going on. <laughs> well that I understood. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> the other part I was like, what is happening right, right. now? I no, it is wild. <laughs> Trey's fake story of hooking up with a chick is pretty funny and ridiculous, although his fantasy woman is nowhere near as hot as Brandy. So, like, the girl in the fantasy is not as attractive as Brandy, I I, I thought was weird.
2: Well, he's starting to resent her, so it's got to be
1: someone else. (laughs) Well, I didn't say that it had to be Brandy necessarily. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. I think sometimes when you have, like, real feelings for somebody you sort of like spare them your disgusting <laughs> fantasies yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> not to go down that road that's but right i think we all know what i mean <laughs> sure there's a little montage after this fake fantasy where we see an attempted chain theft and then a beat down which i thought was hilarious and worth noting because i think they rip a chain off of like dookie and then Doughboy, Monster, and Dookie like chase this guy down. Clearly, like somebody's stealing it to sell for drugs. It looks like That's some right. sort of a yeah. a drug addict guy, not like a gang thing. Sure. And they like beat this dude down. And I love Chris like wheeling after them, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. imagine telling that story later where you're like, I got beat down by a bunch of dudes, and one of them was in a wheelchair. I know. And then I know that like this is supposed to be serious, and it's not like the movie Hot Rod or anything, but when one of them just takes that trash can and, like, throws it on that dude, I was, like, laughing hysterically. (laughs) Nothing makes me laugh more than when a trash can gets involved. Slapstick humor. (laughs) We see Brandy in a schoolgirl uniform. What were your thoughts on this? Unbelievable that this was happening. I was like, what's going on right now? I'm like, oh, yeah, they're supposed to be in high school even though they're, like, 25. I know, they all look so old. (laughs) I thought she looked incredible. Trey is basically just, like, begging her for sex, which, I mean... Who can blame you know, him? I was begging her, and she was just on TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, a real sad scene over at my apartment now. It's, like... that sounds like it. It's Robert De Niro and Kate Fear. I'm, like, laughing or, way too loud at stuff. <laughs> Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. <laughs> and then yelling at the TV. Shaving part of your head. <laughs> yeah, except instead of doing push-ups, I'm, like, eating Oreos. <laughs> We also see Ricky playing football, doing stuff with football, whatever. The whole part of the film where Trey is like begging Brandy for sex like kind of goes on for a decent amount of time and then he's on the phone with her. It's
2: such a big part of the movie. Yeah, and he's almost like,
1: so, shockingly so. He keeps saying are you going to give me skins or something like that, <laughs> which I didn't really understand. Which
2: he accidentally says to his mom. Yeah,
1: I was like I wrote that down. It, it it's an old bit.
2: That yeah. never gets old. Really?
1: And it's a laugh every time. Any movie when they do stuff like this where you're playing like the <laughs> the multiple phone lines That's right. gimmick and then you're still on the same line with your mom. And he's like, come on, baby, you're going to give me skins. And then they cut finally to Angela Bassett yeah. and be like, this is your mother. But, you know,
2: when your mother
1: is Angela Bassett, it
2: does beg the question, was it an accident?
1: <laughs> is she going to give him
2: some skins? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're just... Was he like, it's worth a try? <laughs> it's worth a
1: try. Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: Come Cut on. that out.
1: <laughs> no, it's saying, Ricky is hoping for a scholarship from USC, and a recruiter visits, and this is where Ricky learns that he must score at least a 700 on the SATs in order to qualify for a scholarship. This is sort of a rough scene, because you you definitely feel bad for Ricky, because the recruiter... Is sort of overwhelmed, I think, by I'd say so. The situation. This guy is out of his element.
2: Yeah. He definitely comes from a different lifestyle.
1: Yes. Because as he visits, there's nonstop helicopters buzzing overhead. You have Doughboy and his gangster <sighs> friends <sighs> hanging on the porch, joking but not joking about trying to get a scholarship. Yeah, to yeah. Do it. <laughs> you have at one point ricky's son running out nude it's like a baby yeah but the guy thinks like oh your little brother and he's like no it's my son and the guy's just like oh (laughs) you know there's a lot going on a lot to process here
2: yeah and like kind of already going down the path of like you know you're not going to make it to the nfl so what else are you gonna do
1: well i think that's smart though yeah i I agree
2: i agree but i think for ricky it might be a little it's something that he hasn't thought of. oh yeah he
1: definitely is unprepared to answer like what else are you interested in so Ricky and Trey both take the SAT test, and then afterwards, Furious ends up taking them to Compton to talk about a bunch of different stuff, but it all f- sort of focuses on the dangers of decreasing property values in the black community. Yeah,
2: and I think it's a great scene for Lawrence Fishburne.
1: Hey, man, I don't know about all this Furious. I was walking around motherfucking
3: Compton and all that. Rick, it's the 90s. Can't afford to be afraid of our own people anymore, man. Would you two knuckleheads come on? Why don't y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? It's What are y'all, Amos and Andy? You step in and he's fetches? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Black-owned with black money, just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on a TV, that's what you see, black people selling the rock, pushing the rock, pushing the rock, yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you wanna talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit, but they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves.
0: Yeah.
3: Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Yeah. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? I'm shoot the motherfucker if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future.
2: It's definitely an odd scene the way it happens. It feels like this sort of weird detour where we're just going somewhere to say something, and the people in town all kind of just walk up and listen. Well, to Well, that's him the talk. part
1: that sticks out to me because it happens too quickly. Yeah, like, he just launches into this thing, and, and everyone... people are already walking over there
2: they like, some reason oh, this guy's holding court over here. Let's go hear what he has to say.
1: Yeah, I get why it's in the movie because sure, same, I think same. with Furious, he's he's sort of on this never-ending quest to impart this knowledge onto his son. Ricky just sort of happens to be there, too. That's right. Soaking it in. But it's probably an homage to Singleton's father, who probably said a lot of this stuff, and that's where it comes from, and he wanted to work this into this character, and I think it works, but yeah, it is a little weird that the people just start walking over immediately and then it turns into this whole thing where he's sort of like giving a sermon, but like people are talking back and he's That's like responding right. to yeah. them. Because it covers gentrification, crack. Why is there a gun store on every corner in these neighborhoods? Why is there a liquor store on every corner? Because they want us to kill ourselves. He's proselytizing on this corner in Compton. People are sort of like digging it and they do... Make it a point to let He's us know that pushback. Ricky is Ricky and Trey to a certain extent are both like sort of nervous to be in Compton. That's right. Which I guess is worse than Crenshaw. I don't. I don't
2: know. I guess based <laughs> on most rap songs, you don't hear Crenshaw get mentioned. It as does much get as Compton. mentioned in some. That's, but, true. Yeah, That's true.
1: Compton has sort of a it's notorious an aura I would say. to it yeah. because of N.W.A. And, and all that stuff. But yeah, I think originally Singleton wanted the other members of nwa to be the other like crips and stuff oh wow okay yeah but this was at the time when ice cube things were had a falling out with nwa yeah he yeah was no longer in the group I guess. well they were
2: probably getting ready to go on their first hiatus right i mean in the early 90s i, I thought this was kind of when nwa was ending
1: well yeah because of Ice Cube leaving and everything. It's not like they ceased to exist as people, though. Well, oh yeah, 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 right. <laughs> they okay, could have yeah. still been in the movie, but they just uh, weren't on sure, speaking sure. terms anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that night, during a local street racing gathering, Ricky is bumped into by a guy named Ferris. The only people I've ever known named Ferris are this character and Ferris Bueller. Yeah, is that actually a name that dudes have? Uh,
2: apparently, <laughs> not many.
1: He is a bloods gang member and he is one of the same that we saw get confrontational with Trey back after that barbecue. These are the same dudes that's right Ferris has sort of a distinctive look he's got like he long does. hair. Later one of his friends is like teasing him about it saying like you look like you're straight out of 1983 or something like that yeah he seems
2: like he got like a perm or something.
1: It's sort of like a jerry curl, kind of. Although, that's sort of what Chris had whenever they were like little kids. I don't really know how you... It's just like long hair. Right. But it's sort of... I don't know. It's a distinctive look. I'd say so. This situation where they bump into Ricky leads to an argument. There's a lot of people around, a lot of cars around. It's like a big gathering of people. And then this confrontation turns into a situation with Doughboy brandishing a handgun, causing a momentary retreat from the Bloods. However, moments later, Ferris fires a submachine gun into the air. This clears the party out. Causing everyone to panic and flee. So this sort of, I thought was interesting that they, they go into like a street racing segment here when one of the characters in the movie is also named... Furious. I was like, "There's a lot of Fast and Furious here." Yeah, that's right. Singleton would direct. Yep. (laughs) It just sort of all comes together. I do like the part where Ice Cube, Doughboy, and his friends and Regina King's character—they're all like talking in the car before (laughs) this—and he's just like, "I I don't know." There's a lot of like casual misogyny, which does get addressed by some of the characters pushing back on it but he's got all of his own theories because of the reading that he did in prison and all of this stuff. And they talk about God and religion and that's right. I'm not really sure why they throw in this whole thing where Chris is all of a sudden like bringing up religion and church a lot. I don't know if they were saying that because of his injury or what, but then like Doughboy is like not having it.
2: Yeah. It's weird with Chris because you would kind of feel like he'd be like, guys, you should probably get out of this lifestyle. Like, look what happened to me
1: no but no yeah and then it just sort of turns into this thing where it seems like those dudes intentionally bump into Ricky and then yeah it escalates Ricky he there.
2: gets pissed he's he's usually kind of calm and collected but he's a little shaken after this incident
1: <laughs> I like how that girl with the bloods was like can we just have one night without shooting each other and Regina King's like bitch I will fuck you up <laughs> Just like, <laughs> a lot of animosity. I know that the Bloods are supposed to be the bad guys in this, but it's not like our main characters don't escalate things several times. Absolutely. And they even point that out. To, oh, yeah, yeah. Because they like say, like, oh, Doughboy, don't act like you don't do the same thing. And he's just like, yeah, I know. And then he like gives them a high five. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, I know. It's just the way it is.
0: We got a problem here? We got a problem, nigga? Oh, away, kind of nigga.
3: Can we have one night where there ain't no fight nobody gets shot?
1: Shut up, bitch.
3: Bitch, yeah. fuck you fuck bitch. Let's get that bitch like that.
1: Trey leaves with Ricky and talks of his desire to escape LA, mostly due to the pervasive violence. The two of them are then pulled over by the police, and the lead officer turns out to be our old friend who responded to the
2: burglary
1: call from seven years earlier. Not much career progression for this
2: officer over the seven years.
1: He's not a friendly fellow, no. this guy. He ends up intimidating and threatening Trey with his gun. He Which like is super fucked up. Jams it in, in up under his chin, like into his neck. Yeah. In front of the other cop and Ricky. It's like this whole thing. They end up leaving because they get another call. So then Trey goes to Brandy's house. Visibly and upset. breaks down. Yeah. It's like you. Every day. Every day. Over everything. swinging at the air, yeah. yelling.
3: <laughs> You're late. I thought something might have happened to you.
0: I Ain't mean, nothing going to happen to me. I'm tired of hearing them shooting all the time. What's wrong? No. I'm tired of this shit. So I'd be crying in front of a female <sighs> You can cry in front of me.
1: However, this turns out to be the key that turns the lock. <laughs> <laughs> I was if gonna get will. into this too. I'm just like,
2: so what is the message here? Is It's like if if she's shutting you down, just cry and
1: that's <laughs> just have a freak out. Yeah. <laughs> just go on some bummer trip. That's right. So just be like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> so then they actually have sex. And the sex scene is weird and awkward, and you can sort of tell it's somebody's first movie. It's not really the most normal.
2: I have to tell you, my emotional breakdowns in life have not usually ended this
1: way. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, in other words, the night isn't a total loss. That's true. Yeah, it's not a (laughs) net loss. Over at Doughboy's house the next day, we see the bloods sort of lurking around the neighborhood still, driving around. It seems like a confrontation is inevitable. Ricky and Doughboy get into a fist fight on the front lawn. Not really clear so why.
2: when I was rewatching this, like kind of starting in these sequences, I was starting to have that feeling of dread of like what was coming. Right. I feel like it starts to build in these scenes because it's kind of these moving parts that are happening that like sends Ricky to have to go get the milk or whatever he's going yeah. to do. And it, that's it all starts happening in these early scenes and it's, you know, we have Ricky and Doughboy getting into this altercation in the lawn.
1: Yeah, I don't really know why Ricky sort of pushes this into a fight. Or I'm sorry, Doughboy. He's the one that sort of starts the fight. Not really sure what the motivation is, if he's just pissed about Ferris and the Bloods, or if it has more to do with their mother. Seems like the tension between the brothers is usually kept at bay, but sometimes the fact that their mother clearly loves one of them more than the other. Becomes an issue, but what well, I feel
2: like, and I don't know, Ricky seems like the one that's usually going to be the, the peacekeeper. Yeah. Like, he usually feels, it's like he's above it, usually.
1: They fight on the lawn. Their mother intervenes, of course, taking Ricky's side, and she's, like, slapping Doughboy. Director cameo here. That's right. The mailman who delivers Ricky's test scores is John Singleton. However, before opening the envelope, Ricky and Trey walk away because... Ricky's girlfriend wanted him to go to the store, and Ricky starts talking about the army while he and Trey are on their way there.
2: That's right, because they do focus on him watching the army commercial, and he's like, "I don't know, this doesn't sound that bad."
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure why. Does he think that he just didn't get a high enough score? Is he sort of is this like him bracing for him not getting the scholarship to USC? I can buy that as the explanation. It does seem like he's all of a sudden like trying to figure out a different plan. Yeah. Or is he just sort of panicking and he's not sure how this is all going to work? Because I was like, well, what's going to happen if he goes off to USC? I mean, I know that the campus probably isn't like that far away, but he has a son, he has this girl, I don't know. He's very adamant that she's not his wife, which is actually what, what happens right before the fight. So That's I don't right. know yeah. if he doesn't see like a long-term future there. But
2: <laughs> Even though she lives, you know, at his mom's <laughs> house.
1: Yeah, I think her name was what, Shanice, right? Yeah. On the way back... Trey and Ricky see Ferris and the Bloods driving around the neighborhood, and in an attempt to avoid them, the two cut through some back alleyways. Ricky suggests that they split up, but moments later, Ferris's car is cutting off yeah. Ricky's path at the end of the alley.
2: Ricky's like much more nonchalant about it than Trey. Trey is like, all right, we gotta like stay incognito here, try to find our way back. Yeah. Ricky's kind of more like, they're not gonna do anything.
1: Right, yeah, there is a certain amount of naivete to the character in thinking that this is no big deal, sort of maybe just expecting like a physical altercation, like a fight or something yeah, like yeah. that. Ricky turns to run when he sees the car, but it, but one of Ferris's guys shoots Ricky twice with a double-barreled shotgun, killing him with the second shot through the back.
2: Horrible. Seems like kind of a far shot for a shotgun, but it's pretty brutal. He's dead pretty quick.
1: He's shot once in the leg, but somehow he doesn't go down. He's sort of like hopping and then he gets shot through the back. Doughboy, having sensed trouble, arrives too late in shock and not sure what to do. Oh, yeah. They take Ricky's lifeless body back home. And it's,
2: I I don't know, the way this is done is just like so great because it's just so unexpected that this is how they react to it. Doughboy almost yeah. has like no reaction through the whole sequence.
1: Yeah, it's sort of jarring even now because of everything we know about crime scenes and, and everything else. It, yeah. They're just like basically Trey pronounces him dead. And once they decide he's dead, they're like, well, let's take him home. Yeah. Which is something you would never see in another show or movie, really. Right. And you would never expect to happen in real life. Like if you were shot out on the street. It's not like I would be like, well, I'm going to take him home. No, I think it'd probably just get in my car and leave. Yeah, it'd probably
2: be more (laughs) like Martin Sheen in The Departed, where you just run me over with your car
1: on your way out. (laughs) Let's face it, because I'm the one that shot you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you threw me off a building. (laughs) Because of some review you posted on Letterboxd. Not enough stars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and this sets up a super rough scene with... Doughboy and Ricky's mother, Brenda. and oh, this is. Yeah. Like I said. And the screaming baby. Like I
2: said earlier, I mean, this really was disturbing to me the, the first time I ever saw this movie. And it doesn't really. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. And it's just so fucked up. I mean, this, this dude who was basically like, he's like the star of the town. He's like the star of all the friends and everything. It's tragic that he's dead. But then like how all these people are reacting to it. This scene in the house and the mom. Oh my gosh, her like slow realization of this, and at first like she's in shock and in denial, like he's not dead. Yeah, and then when it changes to her like flipping out on Doughboy.
1: Yeah, blaming Doughboy. Oh, I mean,
2: there's just so much going on in this scene.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of emotion, and it's it's actually handled pretty well in the sense that you sort of believe everyone's reactions. Even though it's a very crazy scene with a lot going yeah. on, a lot of screaming. And now
2: we know on. that at this point, I, I mean, I think we know from the second it happens that Doughboy is going to have one thing on his mind, and it's a retaliation. But I don't know. Just like him, he's so like stone cold in this scene. Like he just is not. Well, having any I think, emotional think you're reactions.
1: supposed to see it as like he's been conditioned to it. He probably has had friends and stuff. Like he's now a full blown member of this gang yeah yeah we don't know for sure whether he's actually killed anybody before or been involved with that i don't really know how that all works i know you always like would hear stories of how you would be inducted into these gangs and all that stuff but yeah i think you're supposed to just be like almost as if he's like one of the kids on the wire so this is just part of life until he, he does finally have like that moment of reflection at the end of the movie. That's right. But and yeah, it, he it, just sort of goes into the next yeah. zone, which is like we have to retaliate immediately. So the remaining boys have vengeance on the brain. That's Furious right. Right
2: before Trey leaves the house, he just says to Doughboy, you know, meet me at my house in five minutes.
1: Yeah, Furious finds Trey preparing to take his 357 Magnum.
2: I found furious to be uh, not very sympathetic towards yeah. Ricky's you would have liked here.
1: a little more sympathy, although he just immediately goes into the mode of like, I need him to not
2: completely fuck his life up yeah. here by doing something crazy
1: because he doesn't know the circumstances. You would think that he would be more like wondering what happened, and I mean, his son. And you did would think he would be upset about Ricky in
2: Ricky specifically because he's not really a part of this yeah. crime lifestyle.
3: Trey? Trey, what are you doing, huh? Oh, oh, you bad now, huh? You bad. You got to shoot somebody now, huh? Well, here I am. Come on, shoot me. You bad, right? Look, I'm sorry about your friend. My heart goes out to his mother and his family, but that's their problem, Trey. You my son, you my problem. I want you to give me the gun. Oh, I see, you want to end up like little Chris in a wheelchair, huh, right? No, no, you won't end up like Doughboy, huh, no? Give me the motherfucking gun, Trey. And I'm not gonna lose you to no bullshit, you hear? I love you, man. <sighs> you. Go clean yourself up.
1: Furious seemingly convinces Trey to abandon his plans for revenge. However, when Brandy knocks on the front door, Trey sneaks out the window, joining Doughboy, Dookie, and Monster, who are going to search for Ricky's killers. Darkness falls. And they're driving around. And eventually, having yet another change of heart, Trey asks to be let out of the car. So, <laughs> that might seem like a lot, just because I read a couple sentences in a row there that I wrote down, but... It really is like 90 seconds of right, movie true, time where yeah. he changes his mind seemingly three times. Right, right. That was a little clumsy to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it he is he should have been dilemma. more like
1: giving the gun back to his dad but saying, fuck you, and you know he wants to do it. Like, not have it seem like he changed his mind and then changed his mind again. Right. It should be like, okay, he doesn't bring his gun, but you know he's going, there's no doubt, and then he's gone and it's like a painful thing, like, oh, fuck, he's going to fuck his life up. This is a nightmare. And then if you build slower to him changing his mind in the car to get out and everything. Rather than it just, it just seems like a lot of mind changing in like a minute yeah. and a half.
2: Yeah, right. I, I mean, I do think it's, it's the dilemma and he does have this emotional reaction to it.
1: Yeah, and it does. It goes from being completely light out to dark. So we are to assume that time has passed before he changes his mind, but... The way it's cut together, in I, I, it's, I it's all yeah. very quick. Right. <laughs> Trey returns home realizing that Furious was right. It's just an endless cycle of violence that ultimately goes nowhere. We see Brenda distraught reading Ricky's SAT scores, discovering he scored a 710, which would have been enough to get the scholarship to USC.
2: Of course, they just have to twist that dagger on us a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was wondering, like, Shanice and the baby are still there in the house, and I'm just like, well, what happens to them now? Where does she go? Yeah, the baby (laughs) can stay, stay but she has to leave. (laughs) I don't know. Doughboy, Dookie, and Monster come upon the three assailants outside of a fast food restaurant.
2: Another Stand By Me reference?
1: Maybe. And orchestrate a drive-by shooting. Like an AK-47? Yeah. Monster kills one... Severely wounding the other two, and instead of driving away, Doughboy gets out of the car and executes the last two up close, including Ferris, who's the last one to die. It's sort of a chilling scene
2: I'd say so you are rooting for it at this point though
1: well yeah, that's the thing you you sort of give in. To that desire for revenge, which I think we probably talked about a little bit the last time we talked about right, The Sopranos, right. where they set up a scenario where you like want the revenge to happen so badly. This one is not really turning the camera back on the audience because it's just going to give us that revenge. That's right. There's not really any debate as to what we should think about it. It's just the way it is, and it's going to happen. But yeah, I did. I do think that as a viewer. When you're safely detached from the events yourself, you can sort of just root for this to happen because it feels right.
2: (laughs) That's right. I mean, they just make you feel that way because of what the Ricky character was.
1: Right. The next morning, Doughboy is philosophical and he talks to Trey on their front porch.
2: I mean, it kind of right away is just like, you know what? If you're worried about what we think of you for getting out of that car or whatever, like don't like you never should have been there anyway.
1: Yeah, he's understanding of Trey's position, but he's also sort of resigned to the fact of what his place in all of this is. Like He seems to understand that retaliation is inevitable on him. That's right. And that this is just how it is. But he does bring up watching the news and how they talk about violence in the world, but then they show all this stuff in foreign countries and all this stuff, and Ricky isn't mentioned on the news even though he was like this high school football star. The bright future and everything, and it's like they clearly are just ignoring it. Yeah, it doesn't matter, which is super sad. Yeah, and then we have the "Stand by Me" homage number two, which is sort of this whole ending sequence here with Doughboy walking back across the street, pouring out the remnants of his forty out, and then the words come up on the screen. That's right. And it says the next day... Well, he,
2: did, he fades away, too.
1: Well, yeah. First yeah. it says the next day, Doughboy saw his brother buried. Then he fades out of the picture. That's right. Then it says two weeks later, he was murdered. <laughs> just so brutal so and cold. matter-of-fact. Yeah. right? Like, oh, this character that we just spent two hours with, just dead off screen. And, and kind of just had this very,
2: I don't know, transcendent moment yeah. with...
1: Yeah, it always seems to come just a little too late. That's right. And finally, it says, in the fall, Trey went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, with Brandy across the way at Spelman College. Sort of implying that they would still have a future together, so at least there's that. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry your friends are dead, but you still are with Brandy.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, a lot can go wrong with relationships in college that started pre-college.
1: That's true, but sometimes they work. That's true. We can be optimistic (laughs) here. I mean, they were talking about getting married during college. It was very, like, Paradise by the Dashboard light. Like, it was like he was <laughs> willing to just promise anything. <laughs> He's like, is there a place where we could do a drive-by marriage right now? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> anything. Well, a girl like
2: Brandy, you know. Please. That's not going to come into your life very many times.
1: Yeah, it's, the implication is sort of that he was, like, in love with her as soon as the, he moved in with his dad because we see her very briefly as a little girl where they're like who's that and ricky and doughboy are already talking about her like that's my woman that's my wife you know they have that whole like (laughs) 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 meanwhile they've never talked to her probably (laughs) very relatable seems familiar yeah (laughs) oh boy so that's your picture and it ends on such a down note but you know, I think the last message of the movie is increase the peace or something, which was sort of a, an expression people used. Okay, yeah. I don't know if people really say that anymore. But
2: just kind of the overall message.
1: Yeah. And I think as far as the big-time urban-based movies, the, you know, it sort of found its place alongside Do the Right Thing. It got nominated for those Oscars. It ends up being deemed culturally significant and, you know, put into the Library of Congress. And That's all that, right, yeah. That shit, too. Yeah, and I think the legacy of it, there was like a million movies that came out in a short amount of time during that like late 90s, or I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s, because following this up was like Menace to Society. That's right. Juice. Don't be a menace in South Central. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, of course, a parody of it. Yeah. New Jack City, I think, was around this time as well. Yeah, there was a, a lot of these movies, and it was sort of introducing the rest of the country to a world that they may not have really been fully aware of for the most part sure and i think the power of this movie comes in the humanity of it and it's sort of realistic portrayal of these things but also giving you the real human being side of it and and, and the characters not really being just like caricatures or very simplified versions of it because you have all different types of people, all within this narrative. Like, as you kept pointing out, it's like Ricky is this star of, you know, in the athletic world and and sort of like this good-natured guy who's sort of just a casualty of this thing that he doesn't really have much to do with.
2: This completely aimless reason, really.
1: Yeah, the whole asinine thing of, like, wearing different colors or or being a part of these groups, you know, that doesn't really make any sense right but it's sort of a world that was able to to spring from an area that was had a lot of other problems which is what furious is talking about in that big speech it's like you know sort of this trap of the crack cocaine and the gun stores and the liquor stores and gentrification yep. and all this different stuff happening and then of course so it's a world where violence can spring from easily and then the a lot of the people who suffer the most are people are, are almost like innocent bystanders in a way. They're just sort of caught up in it, like your Rickies.
2: That's right. Not very uplifting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for Boys in the Hood. I always enjoy revisiting those '90s yeah. movies. I have it's a, definitely a, a soft great movie. spot for the '90s. Yeah. It was my era. It was my peak.
2: And this is another one that is in that like sweet spot of the the turning point of like kind of the eighties becoming the nineties. Oh
1: yeah, I know. <laughs> what a time. Yep.
3: What are you doing? What?
1: What? Vincent stopped making picks.
3: Well, how am I going to know what movies to see?
1: We have a wide variety of Gene picks.
3: Gene's trash.
1: I'm Gene. All right, so let's do recommendations. Do you want me to go first? Yeah.
2: So I uh, rented this off Amazon the other night, a 2020 movie directed by a dude named Lawrence Michael Levine. I, I know his wife is a filmmaker too, Sophia Takal. They're they're tied in with that kind of uh, Joe Swanson world, you know, these people that make the oh indie movies. <laughs> <laughs> it, it certainly, you know, wasn't a phenomenal movie by any means, but I thought it was pretty good, pretty enjoyable. It's it's weird enough. Aubrey Plaza is, like, amazing in it. She kind of plays two different characters, which makes more sense once you see the movie. But she really stands out. Just a, a great performance by her in both the the roles that she's playing in it. And uh, I, I don't want to give too much away of it, because it's kind of a weird movie. I, I, I would recommend checking it out.
1: Well, my recommendation would be to check out my Letterboxd account. <laughs> <laughs> no. My recommendations, I think, for the foreseeable future will probably be mostly movie-based because I only watch movies now because of Letterboxd. Sure. Not really interested in TV. So we sort of planned out the recommendations a little bit that it That's would right. sort of go together. So I was going to recommend Ingrid Goes West, which I'm sure we talked about on one of our Best of the Years or I, I'd say so, yeah, for sure. I think it came out in 2017 another Aubrey Plaza movie also we, which stars Elizabeth Olsen we both liked it quite a bit yeah it's it's a tough one to watch but I recently re-watched it for the first time since the theater and I mean it's the type of thing that you almost have to like watch through your fingers as you're like oh, covering I know. your face so it's much cringe so embarrassing it's but I think it's a it's an essential movie that should be shown to kids at school. I agree. I think there's like lessons about social media, about this desire for influence and and fake fame from social media and the fake lives that people construct. And every character in this movie is horrifying, except, of course, maybe Ice Cube's son. That's right. Which is, it was weird watching this movie leading into doing the Boys in the Hood episode because Ice Cube's son looks so much like I him. know it is. <laughs> That I'm it's almost shocking. like, this is Ice Cube right, right. in this movie, even though he's, he would be way too young. He's probably the only character in Ingrid Goes West that isn't horrifying. That's true. Almost everybody else is a nightmare of a human being, including Ingrid, although hey. she seems to have a valid excuse of like actual mental illness, right, right. whereas everyone else is just this vapid, horrible monster. I know,
2: and you just believe it so much from like your yeah, experiences that's on social so media. Right.
1: It's not unbelievable it's not over the top You're right like right. this the shit that elizabeth olsen's character writes and says is so real that i feel like they did take it from people that you see on social media it's exactly like that and it's disgusting <laughs> i hate all of the people in this movie oh, so much i just
2: i can remember walking out of that movie just because it was just resonating with me so much. Yeah, you, know, you almost just want to take hitting... like
1: a scalding hot shower. Yeah, just like <laughs> it's so gross. These That's people. Right. Yeah, I mean maybe Nikki the brother is the worst guy in the movie. Oh, for sure. But Elizabeth Olsen, even though she's smoking hot in the movie, is so terrible. Oof. Yep. Horrible. I know it was on Hulu for a long time. I'll add it into the notes if it's streaming anywhere for free. I watched it on Blu-ray but I'm sure it's somewhere. I think it
2: is streaming somewhere still. But yeah, so an Aubrey Plaza double feature for
1: recommendations this week. Yeah, I haven't seen that other one because I refuse to watch new movies now. Yeah, yeah. Someday though, maybe. I peaked at 2019. <laughs> no it. more movies yeah. after that. I don't want to watch anything new. <laughs> Ever. Okay. New take. All right. So anyway, follow us on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Let us know if you'd like a sticker on there That's as right. well. Still shipping them out let us know if you have a listener request on there you can follow us mostly just tweeting about the episodes but sometimes i'll jump in with something else you can subscribe on apple podcasts or podbean and make sure you join letterboxd and follow us on there get into the conversations write reviews for your movies comment on our reviews and we'll comment back zach 1983 and matt crosby on there we're having a fun time in that world so anyway, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Ooh, yeah. Things are going
0: to get easier. Things will get better.
3: This pornography is infinitely excellent.